Hello and welcome to this week's Why Football podcast with me, Michael Dryden and Eches Adokwu. How are you, Eches? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Community Shield today. Um, got half a squad, but I'm, I'm pretty excited for that. The curtain raiser or fake curtain raiser for the season. What's your prediction? Um, well, I predicted wrongly when we played City. I think I said we'd get beaten 4-1 or 3-1 or something. Mm. Uh, Van Dyke cut his face against, I think it was Salzburg the other yeah. day. So by that logic, we win 6-0. Okay, yeah. no, fair enough. Yeah. Anything uh, else going on? Yeah, aside from that, I've got some bank holiday plans uh, with some friends over the weekends. And a quick question for you. This is in the WhatsApp group chat. Is Per Mertesacker slow? Like, is he slow in terms of... I've had this discussion with friends before. Yeah, so... No. Yeah, he's... So, yeah, in, Objectively, he's not slow. He's he's slow in the context of football, in yeah. elite football. Yeah. He's So, yeah, so if, if he's up against a PSC striker yeah. in elite football, which is very quick, yeah. if he's against you, he's like, you simple. Uh, <laughs> uh, just for everyone on the on the podcast, I'm actually quite fast. Okay, so, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Jordan, how are you? Uh, not bad. I've spent the whole week doing my fantasy team, oh, nice. um, which is quite premature because obviously a lot of transfers still to go through. Um, but I thought I'd get into it. And you know what? It really makes me excited for the season. I was kind of like here and there because obviously it's been quite a short gap. But with the fantasy team, it just gets me up for the up for the season. I went for a 3-4-3. Three, three. I went for nice. a Werner gamble as well, Brilliant. which is a bit of a gamble because he's an excellent striker. I think he scored 28 goals last season in the Bundesliga. However, he just don't know who Frank's going to play. So you've been doing a fancy all week. Uh, what about your full-time job? Full-time job. Um, my boss is listening. I've been doing that as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, mainly fantasy football. Um, so yeah, so hopefully that'll go well, but I'm not I'm not really that good. And uh, by the way, we're going to do a wide football fantasy league. So yeah. if anyone wants to get involved with that, um, please join. I think we'll try and do some prizes. Um, you might get a video of HS doing 100 metres. That'd be <laughs> quite a laugh, but yeah. This week, Eches will be telling us all about Salford City's history, how the class of 92 got involved, and whether they can reach the Premier League in the near future. Before we start, please follow us on Twitter, at YFootball underscore, for our latest content. Please also follow and subscribe with us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Acast for immediate access to future episodes. So Eches, why did you decide on this topic? Yeah, um, this is actually our first episode, which is a suggestion from a listener. So shout out to Shaq uh, for giving us the idea. I know he's been dying to hear it. Um, but in general, uh, what drew my attention to this in general, uh, this topic was the mystery about the class of 92's involvement, mm. whether Salford are suddenly going to be uh, a Premier League mainstay sometime soon and kind of how they all began. Will they become yeah. Leipzig or will they become like a Malaga? Mm, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, they could be they could be flying past Sunderland very soon. So it's very yeah. relevant for my, my good self. It's not very hard. Being a fan, yeah, it's not, <laughs> not hard at all. So who are Salford City? Yeah, Salford City or Salford City Football Club are aside from Greater Manchester who are in League Two in their football pyramids. Uh, they play at the Peninsula Stadium which is a 5,000-seater, and their club colours are red, white, and blue. Don't mind that at all. Similar colours to the Arsenal, which mm. is always great. They're managed by Graham Alexander, his Scotland fans may Legend. remember, as he featured for them on 40 occasions, and I think also played for Burnley and Preston North End. He managed Preston North End and Fleetwood prior to joining Salford. 
Uh, Salford were actually founded all the way back in 1940 as Salford Central, which is a terrible name. Mm. Okay. How do you think found as Salford Central? What would you call your football club if you found it? Um, Pearly FC. Pearly FC. Oh, nice. Yeah, very creative. Pretty creative, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Pearly is where I'm originally from, in case anyone wants to know. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, they originally started out playing in the minor leagues, winning a few amateur tournaments along the way. Uh, in 1989, they changed the name to Salford City, much more acceptable. Mm. And then in 2008, they gained promotion to the Northern Premier League. Mm. Yeah, Graham Alexander, piece of trivia for you, Etches. How many penalties did Graham Alexander score in his career? Bear in mind, his career spanned over 800 league games. 35. No, 77. 77 penalties? And his conversion rate is over 90%. How many did he score? 77. Oh, he scored 77? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought he took 77. No, no, no. Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, uh, nice. Yeah, so I mean, if anyone is familiar with Graham Alexander, he yeah. starts very central in his run-up to the goal and he's often known for knocking the ball in with the outside of his foot. He's, he's one of them where, like, when I was growing up, he was renowned for his penalty taking, so... I'd also, legend. I'd also like to highlight that Dryden said he takes all of his penalties with the outside of his boot and I watched about five YouTube goals <laughs> where he didn't do that. <laughs> he did it once. <laughs> he did it once. But yeah, fair enough. So how did the class of 92 get involved? Yeah, so for our listeners who don't actually know who the class of 92 are and are scratching their heads, uh, they're basically it's a reference to Man United's academy who won the FA Youth Cup back in 1992. Surprise, surprise. Mm. They beat Crystal Palace 6-3 in aggregate with players that you've heard of like David Beckham and Nicky Butt ending up on the score sheet across the two legs. So when they refer to the class of 92, they mean that team, but normally uh, the more famous players are from that cohort. Mm. Uh, so back in 2014, Nicky Butt, Paul Scholes, Ryan Giggs and Garen Phil Neville. Uh, who are all part of that class, except for Phil, on a side mm-hmm. note. So Phil Neville was actually part of the class of 93. And okay, it's, I didn't it's, know that. No, because he, he wasn't, because they're different ages, aren't they? Mm. So yeah, so Phil was actually part of class 93, but yeah, he, he hangs out with them. So yeah, back in <laughs> 2014, those guys uh, agreed to purchase Salford FC. Each player spoke at length about how close they were to the club and how they have such an affinity to it and the ambitions that they have for the club to uh, propel them up the Football League. Karen Bird, who is the club's chairman, was said to be instrumental in getting the deal over the line. Not too long after the actual initial acquisition, uh, six months later, in fact, the pros sold 50% of the club Mm. to a foreign investor called Peter Lim. Those who have been following events with Valencia recently would have heard of him. Uh, He's the owner there and he's also had a bid rejected to buy Liverpool for around 320 million back in 2010. Yeah, I can't imagine him owning Liverpool. It's a bit, a bit weird. Yeah, I mean, events might have turned out very differently. Mm, very differently indeed. Arsenal might have won the Premier League if that happened. Uh, yeah, we're well, winning it next season. So. <laughs> uh, David Beckham then decided to join the party in 2019, picking up 10% of the shares. Uh, so each of the ex-pros have 10% each, with Mr. Lim owning the remaining 40%. Yeah, Beckham always comes very fashionably late to things, doesn't he? But he can get away with it. You also forgot to mention in the class of 92, um, the infamous Robbie Savage, part yeah. of that team. Um, I actually I haven't actually seen the documentary slash film. No, neither have I. Um, perhaps that's homework for next week then. But yeah. uh, I've heard it's very good. So maybe I will. Yeah, first it's, uh, it's it's really good as well. On Robbie Savage, he looks terrible post lockdown. 
I have nothing else to add. <laughs> yeah, like, you just, yeah, lockdown is not treating him very well. Oh, fair enough. Well, if, Robbie, if you're listening, um, just take that on board. Yeah. <laughs> How have Salford City risen up the leagues since the takeover? Yeah, so if you've been listening carefully, I mentioned that Salford City gained promotion to the Northern Premier League in 2008. They remained in that division, finishing fairly mid-table uh, until the class of 92 got involved. And in their first full season with Peter Lim on board, they powered up to first place. The following four seasons yielded three more promotions and now they find themselves in League mm. Two. Within their setup, they have some familiar faces like uh, Sunderland legend Darren Gibson. <laughs> the- <laughs> When he, oh, when he, that clip of him in the pub in Sunderland Till I Die. Yeah. It's like, he's absolutely what, smashed. He, what's he he's doing? He's cussing out the entire playing squad. Like, what? And some guy, rightly so, um, some fan is like, well, what are you doing? You're cussing out these players for not having commitment. You're sitting in a pub absolutely waved. I've got no idea what day that was. Yeah. But I hope it was, you know, at least a Saturday. It was the beginning of the end that was. Of course, mate. Um, as well as James Wilson, who's formerly part of Man United. Mm, forever linked with Sunderland as well. Really? Mm, right. Never came there. He's still got time on his side. Mm. According to Transfer Market, their most valuable player is Jason Lowe, who joined from Bolton on a free. He's valued at around 720k for any football manager fans out there. Yeah, yeah. Good sign. The ultimate aim of the owners is to gain promotion to the championship within 15 years, uh, which, you know, judging by their previous success, they're, they're on course to do so. 15 maybe. years? Yeah. Oh, fair enough. You're going to smash that then. It's quite <laughs> yeah. a long time. Yeah, you mentioned Darren Gibson. There's also the video of, I don't know what the initial, the, the eventual charge was, so I won't like cast like any sort of aspersions, but he basically wrote off like three cars. Like he was like driving down a road. I think he'd been drinking and he just smashed into like three, four cars. It's a separate occasion as well to the um, <laughs> to the drinking one. It's just Sunderland. This is basically what's happened to Sunderland. Um are there any other examples of players owning football clubs? Yeah, so due to the extraordinary amounts players earn these days, it seems like a growing trend for footballers to get invested into clubs. Uh, the most successful example is Ronaldo, the original R9, mm. who became the first majority owner of a top-tier European club. Back in 2018, he went and purchased Real Valladolid. Uh, so far, it's going really, really well. Uh, Ronaldo's in part of the stadium revamp there. He's been in the process of implementing free Wi-Fi at football stadium, oh, wow. at the stadium, sorry, as well as developing a new training center. He believed that uh, one of the most important things for him is to connect uh, futsal to the club. Oh, really? Yeah, he That's believes. Yeah, he believes that players should play a very small version of the game before expanding, as he felt that that really helped him develop with his game. Oh, really? That's interesting. So that he wants to, in his plan for some reason, have two basketball teams within the Real Valladolid training centre and two futsal teams. The basketball teams, he said, were because it's traditional in Spain. I don't really get the link to football, but that's what he said. Yeah. And obviously futsal is to do with uh, developing people's skills and touch. Yeah. Um, also part of his plan was to commercialise Real Valladolid as well and use his connections to help bring in some talent. Mm. So he secured uh, Xavi Sanchez on loan, who... I haven't actually heard of, but he's also been rumoured with Reina, who I have heard of. He's said to be very, very talented. He's also been said to bring in Sebastiano Esposito, who's meant to be joining on loan from Inter Milan, and both Real and Inter are former sides of his. Yeah, of course. So that's part of, of uh, the lure of what having legend. him on the boards. What a legend. He's a legend. Is, man. I mean, his haircut in 2002 World Cup, questionable, but... 
everyone well done documented, but you know, he's a. I just loved how he's the only player that I can recall in history who consistently um, did step always around a keeper. Like you've yeah. already won one with a keeper, just yeah. put it in. No. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he used to embarrass them. Also, Mohamed Salisu, I think that's his name, has just joined Southampton for twelve million pounds. He is seen as a product of how Valladolid's setup there is actually profiting. Mm. So the sale of him enables them to be able to reinvest within the side. Aside from Ronaldo, and it's a fantastic example, there are others as well. Uh, there's Paolo Mandini co-owning Miami FC with a Italian entrepreneur, I believe. Paolo, uh, not Paolo Nesta, Alessandro Nesta. Yeah. Alessandro Nesta uh, was the first coach there. And then oh. he, he, he's since left. But he got Miami FC, which is in the same city as David Beckham's Inter Miami FC. Miami CF, I think you find. Oh, Miami CF, they changed mm. it. It's not Inter Miami. Mm. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, fair enough. <laughs> Fast facts from Dryden. Yeah. Um, that's another club which is which started up. Didier Drogba became the first player owner at Phoenix Rising. Oh, wow. <laughs> player <laughs> owner. Player manager owner. You can't be the owner of the player. Just sacking the, yeah. sacking the players mid-game. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's Didier Drogba's role at Phoenix Rising what uh, a, a few years though. ago. And then you've got Demba Bar, Moussa Sal, Eden Hazard and Johan Kabay. Forming San, I've San never Diego, never heard of this. Never heard of this. I feel like I should have heard of this. Well, I'm, I'm not sure. So Musa, so Eden sure. Hazard, yeah, <laughs> Musa, so Eden Hazard and Johan Kambai all played at Lille together. Correct. I don't know. If very, them, very odd combination of players. Yeah, I don't know if Demba Bar played did. In Ligue 1, yeah. I don't know if Demba Bar played with them. I don't think he did. He did play in Ligue 1, though. He but might, I don't. Yeah, he, he, might, he might be his link to Eden Hazard from Chelsea. I don't know. I don't know if like. Any of them players like Sal now players in China, for example. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. But, but yeah, yeah, a very interesting quartet. Mm. But yeah, they form San Diego 904 FC. Not a big fan of the name. Quite quite long-winded. Yeah. Um, on our Director of Football uh, podcast episode, we touched heavily on what the modern player aspires to after a time, which I think is an interesting topic because typically in the past, you've had players go into management, go into coaching because A, they need to continue earning a living and B, it's related to the to football, something they can build on their experiences. But now, a lot of these players, even if you're like a you know bottom, you know mid-table, bottom half Premier League player, mm. you've got a lot of money behind you. Yeah. And assuming you haven't you know gambled it away or spent it away, or whatever, yeah. you've got money to spend. I mean, someone at that level might not be able to buy a football club, but someone who is part of Europe's elite, a player who's played in the Champions League, for example, has actually got the money to invest in a football club. And is that going to be a theme going forward? We touched on Ryan Bertrand uh, wanting to become a director of football, yeah. sporting director. Um, will we start seeing more and more players just go in, try to buy clubs yeah. and reinvest in that money that they earn throughout their career? If you're a professional footballer, would you invest in Sunderland? I'd buy Sunderland, yeah. I'd buy them. Really? Yeah, absolutely, mate. And I'd install myself as a striker as well to really? get, get would, a few goals. Would you rename one of the stands the Mickey Dryden stand? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> good <laughs> so the kind of discussion we wanted to go into is can Salford reach the Premier League in the near future so in the past on our first pod our very very first one we looked at Red Bull and how they stormed the leagues really really quickly yep. because they had the right level of investment which was a massive unfair advantage that they held over other sides I believe that Salford can reach the elite but there are two issues surrounding the club which may hinder that the first is the influence of owner Peter Lim, whose management of his main club, Valencia, has been somewhat of chaotic, with a fire sale of loads of their top talent, including Ferran Torres, I believe. He went for like 22 million, mm. but it's said to be... He's one of the hottest properties in yeah. 
European football. He's meant to be immensely talented. He went on the cheap. Rodrigo, who's just signed for Leeds to 27 million. Interesting, yeah. Which last summer, I believe Atletico Madrid had a bid of 45 million rejected. Wow. Or 45 to 50 million rejected. Shows how the market's changed. Shows how the market's and... changed, but it's also that fire sale aspect of, you know, you had that much money before compared to how cheap it is this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, it's just the managers have been chopped and changed frequently, uh, causing you know a few eyebrows to be raised you know Gary Neville who I, who I love was appointed and had <laughs> yeah, a terrible quite time interesting there interesting how Neville was brought in he then sucked then Phil who was assistant kept on yeah it's, <laughs> it doesn't make sense I mean Marcelino was said to be very good there and was bringing back the good times um, his style of football wasn't particularly appeasing to the eye but was uh, very functional and very mm, good yeah. he was sacked and fans were unhappy and it's been shambles they sold Coquelin and oh, Danny Pareo to Villarreal for I think combined Pereira, fee yeah. of 10 million he's played there for years played Com- for Real actually a combined fee of 10 million euros to Villarreal wow because it's just been fire so or roughly along those along those figures don't quote me on that so <laughs> Lim's poor management could surely you know derail all the good work at Salford yep. if he focuses attention there a little bit more which is which is a concern the second issue is salary caps a massive issue yeah obviously they've been introduced in leagues one and two talks are ongoing with the championship this cap will prevent clubs backed by wealthy owners progressing up the leagues quickly uh you know i think someone like salford they'll push the boat won't they so you know if they come into league two with the money that they have they could probably be buying good league one players at a push relegation championship players because with the money they could, they could pay them and the dream or the initiative of hey this is where we're going those players will be willing to join now with this salary cap, they don't have the infrastructure yet. Yeah, they don't have any history. Yeah, and they have a salary cap to contend with. So mm. these players, I think, don't wouldn't really want to join in that climate, which makes it a lot harder for them to shoot up the leagues and actually slows their growth massively. I think absolutely. I mean, the salary cap is very relevant to Sunderland, to a sport. Um, it's good for young players in a sense because it doesn't affect so uh, under twenty one. Um, contracts I don't think are a part of it. Yeah, but say for League One, it's two point five million a year in terms of salary, which is not lords. Mm. Um, I mean, when we were relegated, it was, we were, what, four, five times that. So if you've got clubs coming down, like Hull have mm. um, last season, um, it's a it's a major factor, and you're right. Um, it's a great point. I mean, it's, it's a point that will, as you say, prevent a club like Salford spending out their means and growing rapidly, which has its risks. So there is, you know, reason to avoid that happening. I know it's re- linked largely to coronavirus' salary cap, but... It also makes it even more difficult when they do eventually reach the championship. It's the same with Sunderland. Like, the gap is just going to widen until yeah. a championship um, salary cap is brought in. But how can you bring in a salary gap in championship when you've got teams getting relegated from Premier League, Premier League with people on... I mean, Bournemouth, I mean, look at their, look at their salaries. Like, yeah. I mean, it's incredible. Like, I mean, what's Callum Wilson on? Probably, is, you know, 60,000, 70,000? It doesn't make how sense. Can you, how can you apply a salary cap? A cap has to come from top to bottom. Exactly, and the problem with the problem with the pyramid is that the Premier League is separate, and but because of the relegation, they fill it down. They're not, in theory, as an entity, they're separate. But in terms of, it still affects the rest of the league. Mm. So their actions and the actions of even the Championship clubs does affect the lower leagues. Yeah, and it's an interesting point. I mean, are we seeing the demise of League One and League Two? I mean, it's a bit of a a deep uh, getting away from Salford, but um, a bit of a deeper point, a bit of a dystopic point. But are we seeing? You know, League One, League Two, you know, fade away because, especially League Two, because the the gap will just widen massively. Yeah. And how can these these sides sustain themselves? We've seen it even before coronavirus, we saw two or three teams going into. We saw Macclesfield were in trouble. Obviously, mm. Bury around the league, Bolton were in trouble, mm. and it's going to become a, a growing theme. I think. 
No, definitely. I think the salary cap, I believe, won't last for that long because it has to come from top down. It can't come from top down because then it has to be a European thing because the Premier never, <laughs> ever going to agree. Not. They're never going to agree to it unless if all their European counterparts did and they never will. So it just won't work. Because as you said, the gap between wherever it begins and ends will be too big yeah. because clubs, it'll be too much. You'll, what you'll start seeing is people being relegated all the time, the same team being relegated all the time, or you'll get a Saracens, which is a bit left field in rugby, where they were breaching it by buying houses. Yeah, by well, I think that's what's probably going to happen. Yeah. You imagine it could happen in Salford City. It could do, because, yeah, that's that's what Saracens did, and then they got hit with uh, relegation and then minus 30 points or whatever. <laughs> so <laughs> so no, one, no one wants to see that. No, absolutely not. So that's all from us. Thank you to Etches for doing the research this week, um, following the, the request from Shaq. Um, and thank you for tuning in to this week's Why Football podcast. Please don't forget to follow us at YFootball underscore on Twitter. Please also follow and subscribe with us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Earcast for immediate access to future episodes. Cheers, guys. Cheers. And see you next week.